Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Franklin Evans creates painting installations with his studio as his subject. He was born in Reno, Nevada, and has degrees from Stanford University, the University of Iowa, where he got an MFA in painting, and Columbia University, where he received an MBA. Since 2005, he's had 20 solo exhibitions in the United States and Europe, with numerous group exhibitions at venues which include, amongst others, MoMA PS1 in New York, the Nevada Museum of Art in Reno, Nevada, the Cordova Sculpture Park and Museum in Lincoln, Massachusetts, diverse works in Houston, Texas, the RISD Museum in Providence, the Weatherspoon Art Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the Drawing Center in New York. His work has been featured and reviewed in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, Art in America, New York Magazine, Art Forum, The New Yorker, Modern Painters, The Brooklyn Rail, Flash Art, Hyperallergic, and many others. Awards and grants include the Paula Krasner Foundation Grant, a NIFA Fellowship in Painting, the PM Foundation, Yaddo, the Marie Walsh Sharp Art Foundation Space Program, and the LMCC Workspace Program. Franklin's work is included in the public collections of the Orlando Museum of Art, the Yale University Art Gallery, the Weatherspoon Art Museum, and many others. He's represented by Ameringer McHenry Yoey Gallery in New York, FL Gallery in Milan, and Steven Zavitas Gallery. I stopped by Franklin's Lower East Side studio, and we talked about the speed of society, the realization of being an artist, Robert Smith hair, and art as work and art as play. Here's our conversation. Technically, but okay. <laughs> I, can, um, I can no, of course that would stick out. I mean, yeah, it's the opposite of what we we're talking about about fast art. I mean, yeah. it is looks fast, but right. it's it's actually I think pretty slow thinking. Right. Know, but I don't know. I'm curious to know how she makes it. If she makes a lot of them, yeah. Um, and and that being the slowness of them is in editing. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I don't know. It's uh, I think that's part of the intrigue of those. Yeah. As opposed to some of that, you know, other kind of work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine being around. Oh, well, I, I don't teach much. So, I mean, the next group of artists right. who are being formed very differently. You know? Yeah. And it's always exciting, I think, the way um, any generation is formed. But um, this is going to be particularly interesting. I don't know of the most interesting things, though, we'll be painting. Yeah. You know? And I, I think the other work that we're, I was talking about earlier, you know, like, it's speed doesn't seem to help. Um, I, I think speed as just speed doesn't seem to help um, object making. Yeah. I know that's a big generalization. Of course, there are exceptions. But I even like speed in the way of Alex Katz's speed is not speed. I mean, yeah. that's like it's a very or in the effortlessness of Matisse's that looks like speed. It's, it's I mean, I, it's very slow learning to arrive at that. Yeah. So. It takes a long time to get to that point to where you can work that way, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think generally the, 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 the cliche of 10 years of, you know, of figuring out stuff, and I mean 10 years of really hard work, is, isn't um, useless information. Right. 
You know, I think uh, I think every. I mean, I I feel like I've read that across time that it just takes a lot of time to dig into um, any subject, and I'm suspect it's similar across disciplines. Yeah, I mean, not just visual art, but it's it's almost like the speed of society is not slowing down. You know, no matter what those other processes are, it's it's kind of like you can't help but engage in it. I would imagine. You know, like there's this idea that very interesting art always has to be kind of like an unconscious representation of your age or your time. That's like going back to Baudelaire, like he was always like, an artist has to be of one's own time. And like, what is our time? You know, like, what is the speed of our, because that's such an important part of visual culture now, the speed of it. Like, how does that affect object making? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, I think that raises a couple things in the sense that like um, the subject of one's time is different, you know, in the experience of that time versus the historic record of that time. Yeah. So I think, you know, what's happening now, we, you know, we can't fully explain. You know, we might understand very well, yes, with lots of images, you know, Instagram, uh, social media, but maybe that's not going to be the super interesting thing in 20 years of what's what this time really is about. There yeah. could be some, you know, I don't know, some larger thing that we're, we're kind of missing and we're not connecting. Right. So, you know, I, I, the speed also of, of now seems dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems dangerous for um, at least the culture that I admire. Yeah. <laughs> but also it seems dangerous. It's like, what is it, this slow motion Cuban Missile Crisis in Korea mm-hmm. is speeding up r- yeah. right now. And, and, and it is speeding up because of, you know, what's happening in our, in our you know, our world. Yeah, you definitely. Know, if we're, we have a president who tweets, right. <laughs> I mean, that's a different type of diplomacy. Yeah. So. Yeah, and different, not just in the speed, but the meaning of it, you know. And the purposefulness of it. It's just a different way of communicating. Well, it's, yes, and it, but it also, like, it's the speed that changes the subject. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I think in a way, you know, just back to art, it's speed of, you know, just Instagram feeds. Super interesting. I, you know, I don't discount that, but if that becomes the only subject, that's kind of a, it's, it also seems speed to danger. Yeah, because it ignores you know, this kind of crazy rich history of amazingness, right? You know, that and a lot of it even didn't survive its time. Yeah. So, and those images that people were interested in relate also to the history of art, but maybe they just don't know what those relationships are, which creates a kind of confused relationship to history's involvement in images. You know, not that everyone understands every image yeah. that exists, but it seems now it's kind of like fractured more than ever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it's, it's odd, and it's also you know the scale of looking at an image on a shiny phone yeah. versus seeing um, you know, and we do have greater capacity to see most of those things. I mean, yes, it's maybe a little bit. Not everyone can see everything, but most artists here in New York can see a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. yeah. I wonder when, you know, when the TV was invented and people must have thought this is just a huge shift in life, in culture, you know, and it was, but they didn't know what the internet was going to be. So now it seems like the internet is such a huge shift, but what is that next thing coming around the bend that's going to blow that out of the water? 
<laughs> no idea. Right? I mean, I just like back to art, though. Like it's in a sense that um, it, the interesting historic thing is when you know when the TV comes into you know the advent of the television and the regular viewing of that um, forms what we you know historically call the pictures generation. Yeah. Um, but what was that? era really like you know like we, I mean like Cindy Sherman and Robert Longo and those people are forming 10 years 20 years 15 years earlier than um, you know the description of that mode yeah. of working yeah and we're now in that place of you know social media maybe you know equivalently you know how we describe that now that's what I think is really gonna be interesting is you know how varied the actual historical record is from the experience, which, you know, isn't necessarily the accurate record of what's, what the art is at that time, even. Yeah. I mean, it's just also, I mean, I, I, for me, the interesting thing would be to go back to the historic period of when they're form, forming, you know, how, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. what, you know, what is the television meaning to them, you know, and then maybe that's actually available, like in essays that I haven't. <laughs> that we haven't. So you're gonna yet. get like some like uh, call in or something, right? Or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, oh, actually, look at that. Yeah. Well, in your work, you're you're dealing with a lot of historical images and the history of art specifically. What is time like for you in that investigation? And did that become more explicit recently, or has it always been, you know, tied in? To the work, I think it's more explicitly tied in now. Well, how did that happen? Than ever, I don't know exactly. I think moving to New York, I grew yeah. up. I didn't grow up here. I didn't grow up around art, um, and I think I describe it very much as um, I love it. It's a relationship with dead people. Yeah, you know, and I love having this relationship with, you know, from you know, canonical, and you know maybe obvious artists, but they're just so amazing. Mm -hmm. Matisse and Cezanne. And, and I've been, you know, not just looking at images and traveling to see w works by these artists. Um, it's reading biographies. And I haven't yet seen the Cezanne et Moi mm -hmm. um, film that's out. It's just down the street, which I, yeah. I'm, I intend to do this week. Um, so I had it at, you know, it wasn't the first art that I made, but I think like all artists, um, we are looking at other art, even when, you know, when I was in school in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, I was looking a little at art forum, you're, you're directed to things, you know, as a new art student, I didn't do art as a high school student. I started, you know, making art when I was an undergraduate. Mm -hmm. and. Um, so it was open to listening to what my professors told me to look at. Um, but it wasn't, it's, uh, I think moving to New York is just, a, you know, you just, you have access to so much visual information, so much art history. And I think that just accumulated over 20 years of being here. Well, uh, what were you making when you were in school? Like, what was the work about? Was it abstract? No, it was very, you know, you know, my first thing is just a drawing class. Mm -hmm. We're here, you know, have still lives and models. Um, and where was this? I went to Stanford in California. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't go there. I mean, they don't even have, they have an undergraduate. You can get a BA in studio, but yeah. it's, you know, it's a small department. And um, 
I was pretty good at math, and that's why I went to Stanford, and mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was going to be. I actually do think I was going to be a Supreme Court justice. Really? It was one of my, you, you know, as a freshman, what are your aspirations? Yes. Yeah. Um, I kind of remember that. Everything really? gets so vague you know, when you return. <laughs> I mean, yes, I think I remember that. I wish I could find that form again. Right. You know? um, and is this, it's a less specific, I don't think it's invented, though. I'm pretty sure I, re I recall doing, you know. But I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to be a, I'm from, yeah, I'm from Reno, Nevada. So yeah. I wasn't really exposed to a lot of, cul I wasn't exposed to culture, not even a lot of culture. Right. So sports was culture. Yeah. Um, and uh, so everything was new when I left. So when, where did the um, law and being a judge come into play? I just thought that's what you... Aspire to? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you, you're going to be, you know, some professional in some capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and Was politics in your household growing up? No, no. I mean, my, I mean not my mother's um, dropped out of college her freshman year and married my father. So she, they married, my parents who married very young. Mm -hmm. um, my father and his twin are opposite, so it was a little bit. He's the conservative, so he was like, you know, pro-Vietnam War, mm -hmm. Nixon, and she was the hippie. So I, and she was the, I, I think about this, I didn't think about it, I'm thinking about it more, but she was, they were so opposite, the, his twin sister, and she was a, the, you know, California landscape painter. Yeah. And she, I think she married, um, I, I'm learning this more later, because we weren't that close, but I have a, a cousin who's near my age, and her father was an art historian in um, somewhere in L.A. area, but I think he was a significant Duchamp scholar. I have, oh, really? you know, it's a path I should investigate a little bit further. Yeah, you know, but you know, it's, it's something I will. Um, it's in the blood. I don't know if it's in the blood. <laughs> I mean, yes, everything's in our blood. Yeah. in a sense, we could do anything. Um, so, but was art a big thing growing up? No, not at all. You didn't really I mean, find was, it until no, school. No, not at all. I, there was, I mean, I had a big exhibition at the Nevada Museum a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and that was a, it's an expanded museum. So yeah. it was a very small museum when I grew up. I left in 1985, graduated from high school, and um, it was a different place. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, at Stanford, I was just doing all math things. My first when I started, and um, somehow I went, I did a, the, um, an overseas program at Oxford, so mm -hmm. I did a Stanford at Oxford program, and I, I went with my friends the summer before to live in London, and that was between my junior, or sophomore and junior year, so like 1987, I went to London, and um, I met all these creatives, yeah. you know, and I'm like, wow, I could be a creative person. Was that your first time traveling overseas? Um, yes. I mean, I think I'd been to Mexico, but yeah, yeah, yeah no, I mean, yes. That was my first, yeah, that was my first trip overseas. So you were interested in the idea of people being creative? Well, I just thought, I didn't realize there were other life options. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, and I switched at Oxford, you do tutor tutorials. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I had an economics tutorial, which was my undergraduate, you know, that's what I was studying. And I wrote to change the tutorial. I said, I, I think I want to do something, you know, I thought, I, I wasn't surprised, like art would be something I always, like, like, like lots of kids I drew. Yeah. And I was, I always, 
my friends will laugh. I've always had a high opinion of myself. <laughs> so, you know, something as um, unimportant as winning the wildlife drawing contest in mm-hmm. Nevada as a child made me think I was very talented. Oh, yeah. So I thought at Oxford, you know, as this young person, oh, maybe I'll be do an art tutorial. And then I read to them, and they don't have an art tutorial at Oxford. <laughs> But they do have art history, yeah, and um, urban history is what I kind of I did a tutorial on. And I nice. was supposed to be there two semesters or two um, quarters. It's mm-hmm. like a, a three quarter, a three term system like Stanford. And yeah. Somehow I was just really homesick by Christmas, and I was, you know, I, I think that year I, um, you know, it was like, and I was gay but not comfortable being gay. Mm-hmm. So I was, I mean, it was like a lot of kids at that age and trying to figure out what, what is my identity. And I think that's partially why the art thing was so interesting. I met all these theater people. And yeah. I, um, and I, um, what did I have? I had, you know, I had Robert Smith hair at that point. I developed a <laughs> faux British accent. I really loved it. But then I was, I was really homesick. So yeah. I came back. Um, and my second term at Stanford that year. So I you know, came back instead of the second. I wish I'd stayed now. I realize there's so much. I wish I could do my whole education over. Right. My, um, but I, I returned and I'm like, I'm going to take a drawing class. And I did. And um, the professor could see how much I was into it. Yeah. And it was pretty good. You know, I mean, like the spatially it was very convincing, this somewhat complex, you know, um, still life with a floating bike. and. Mm-hmm. And I was so embarrassed when she put it up and wanted to show everyone. And um, but she was—it was Christina Brandt. She was so encouraging. She's uh-huh. like, you know, you like this. You know, you could possibly, you know, think about doing this. So my last two years, I mostly took art classes at yeah. Stanford. I'd had most of my credits um, fulfilled for the economics degree. So at that point, when you kind of felt really interested and in, in almost empowered in a way, like you were really, you know into it? Is that when you sort of flipped the switch and you felt like this is something I'm going to devote my time to yeah. do? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a very obsessive person, as I think is evident in my practice. But um, I mean, I turned my dorm room into a studio. And yeah. my, I, like you were in my studio earlier and, mm-hmm. you know, everything was all, I painted on the floor. I made all my roommates walk around. I <laughs> carved out a little path for them. And they were, you know, they were super excited. Yeah. Um, and yet, I don't know if I thought of myself an art, as an artist, but I just knew I loved doing that stuff. And making, I didn't, making things? Making things, yeah. yeah. Not necessarily like I am now. I'm really interested in its link to its past arts, you know, to past artists, because it's, you know, I think, the, you know, the best way to learn about art, making art is looking at it. Yeah. Um, and, but I just loved making it, and so I, I, um, you know, I, I wasn't totally committed to being an artist at that point, but I, you know, I took a lot of, I spent a lot of time making things those last two years, and I was thinking about applying to graduate schools mm-hmm. right right after. So I took a year off. I developed a por- portfolio. One of my options was art school, and one of them was maybe go to law school. You know, it was I wasn't really totally committed at that point. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot of encouragement from, you know, the faculty, and, and I got into art school. So, mm-hmm. so that's where I, you know, that's, it, it, it's almost like it's, I mean, I've listened to some various podcasts, yours included, yeah. of, you know, other artists, and um, 
I remember when I got in, I thought, wow, this is all false. You know, I'm, you know, I'm like, I faked them all out. Right. You know, because I did, I, listening to some other people, um, seems like people started art earlier. And they yeah. were much more committed at an earlier stage. I was just like, what, this is the next, what am I going to do with my life in a way? Yeah. Um, and I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, I, I did get an interview at Yale, but I didn't get it. I can, I can t- totally imagine. I mean, I understand now. I mean, right. I, I didn't know other artists. I remember one of the questions they asked were, um, you know, who are your favorite artists? And I just listed my professors. <laughs> and they were really great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They were awesome. I mean, I mean, I really liked that, but it was so uninvestigated at right. that time. And you, you're just not ready for a program like that if you're not you know, investigating further. Yeah, they're trying to filter out a lot of people who yeah. might be a little new to the game maybe and yeah. not like totally committed. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess is, that's kind of a, a surface an analysis of how committed you are by knowing a lot of artists, but because there is something to be said for just... Yeah, and I mean at that age, you know, half the game or much less actually even continues on. Yeah. So a friend of mine from Stanford and I both interviewed together. We traveled, I remember, to New York and then, you know, took the train. That's up. a long travel. It was a long travel. I shipped work. Yeah, you got to bring sh- work. Yeah, well, I, sh- you know, I shipped it. Yeah. And, and one of my paintings, paintings broke. Oh, no. <laughs> I, was, I think I was just more traumatized about that. Yeah. Um, but this other artist who she did get in from, you know, she, she's no longer making art. It's just like a, you know, it's a... And it's not an easy path. No, not at all. I mean, you've got to, you know, even even when you are really committed, it's you know, it's not people get derailed. Yeah, I'm always astounded that there's people who are majoring in it or want to go to grad school, and you could tell they're not totally committed. I'm like, there's people out there who are like 150 percent, like wanting this to happen. So how are you going to make it at 70 percent? You know, yeah, that's a good, that's great advice if you can give it to your student without hurting them too much. Right. You know, yeah. Like you know. And some Wait people kick until it into you get gear. Much closer to 100. percent Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. I had a guy. I tell the story all the time, but I had a visiting artist um, who came to my studio, and I was having a rough day, you know, rough week in the studio, which everyone has. And he was just like, you know, maybe this isn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't buy it, but you know, to hear that is like, I don't know. I feel like it's good in a way because it's like, no, you, you really. It weeds out the people who are probably not committed. You know what I mean? Because someone might just say, "Yeah, maybe this isn't for me. I should just go into whatever." Yeah. But if you're really, you know, committed, you just stick with it. Yeah. No, you do. Um, it doesn't feel I, good though. I mean, some of those things, you know, during that period, you, they stick or they don't, and um, they surface later. I had Jacob Lawrence in my studio when mm-hmm. I was in grad school, and he was just so gentle. Um, but I didn't have anything interesting to show him. Yeah. And he just like, he was just, you know, he was a, the equivalent of saying, you know, maybe something else is for you. He's like, <laughs> Supreme Court he's like, let's go get a coffee, you know. Yeah. So we walked to the cafe and we didn't really even talk about my work. And yeah. I didn't even know who he was. That's what's, you know, this is after having, a, you know, BA from Stanford. I didn't right. know who Jacob Lawrence I didn't do the research in advance to, I, you know, to, I wasn't as curious. Yeah. I, I, I was very interested in making my work at that time, but I wasn't letting other things enter. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, you know, I frequent, when I do talk with students, I, I mean, there are many approaches, you know, but one is, 
you know, be blind to the outside and try out all these things and you don't realize you're replicating, you know, 99 or 100% of things that have already happened. Right. But you are thinking through them. Yeah. Somewhat differently. So, yeah, know, I think there's something to be said, you know, that's, that's valuable in that sense. Right. And I think yeah. good teachers can kind of see yeah. or try to see through the work, especially when students are really young and just starting out and trying things out. You can kind of get a sense from that person if they have this drive and if they have this interesting outlook. You know what I mean? Like you try to look just past the work itself and, and see what they're thinking about, and how you can try to get what they're interested in closer to what they're making you know yeah and uh it's it's not easy you know no that's great i mean that's a very good you know skill set that you know not all teachers have yeah you know i do you know some of the best ones from graduate school i didn't think it at the time but you know i can look back and that's what they were letting me do yeah yeah i've had a lot of teachers come in and it's just basically the critique of my work in relation to their work (laughs) you know or like what their ideology is on what should or shouldn't be and those are the most frustrating, you know, yeah. when they come in and if someone's just not into abstract, like in grad school, I was making abstract paintings. And if someone comes in and they're a realist and they're like, I just don't buy it. I don't buy abstract work. And the whole critique is going to go downhill, you know. But a lot of teachers are able to bring that kind of leave themselves at the door when they come in. And those are usually the most productive critiques, yeah. you know. Um, you teach a fair amount. I do. Yeah. I mean, have you noticed yourself improving? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, the yeah. first time I taught was probably I don't know, nine years ago or something, and 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 I think part of it is too the the older you get, you just if you more experience to share. I think part of teaching is you know sharing experience and energy, trying to give people energy and to, to you know work, and uh, it's kind of that blue collar thing, you know, like work hard. You might not be there now. You might not ever get there. But if you're working hard, you'll get somewhere. You know, I think that's a big, okay. a big part of my kind of like ideology when it comes to making stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, it's, I mean, I think that's. I mean, historically, that's a great approach. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if I'm going to just stick with Matisse and Cezanne. That's what they did. Yeah. They worked so hard. Yeah. Um, Van Gogh and Picasso. I mean, it just worked and worked. Worked and worked and and. Um, yeah, I admire it. Yeah. And that's, I always, it's just part of me. I love music. I always bring up, you know, analogies to music. It's like Coltrane was, you know, amazing. He practiced every single day, practice, practice, all the time, you know. You just get better and better. And it's just, um, it's like your language, you know, that making that sound or, you know, making those images, the more and more you do it, the more you learn and the more. And I think the same thing goes with teaching. It's like the more experience you have and the more you talk to people, the more you feel like you can give someone valuable information to make them better at what they're doing, mm-hmm. which is really the goal, you know, and yeah. not like crushing people's dreams like that guy did in my state. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I don't teach much, so I, 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 but I can imagine the measurement of like going, oh, I am actually improving yeah. in, a, in a way that I can give more to the, all these people that need it. Yeah, definitely. Time. Um thinking about work you know like I you know I work crazy mm-hmm. in the studio but I don't think of it as I mean it's work but it's it's just I mean I'm in in Coltrane playing and yeah. practicing it's I wonder a lot of it's just um, intense desire to do right. 
yeah. you know, to make paintings, to, you know, explore relationships with something as simple as color. Mm -hmm. um, I did work for like a job um, for a few years after grad school and moving to New York, and that was work. work. It's work, this work. Is, Different, and I, I wonder if sometimes maybe I'm too easy with myself in the studio. Like maybe I don't work hard enough, <laughs> like to get to that place where you're just like, oh, it's just so hard. I don't want to do this, but I know I've got to do this. Yeah, and I've, I, I've had that a little bit in installations where the deadlines are just so tight, but um, those aren't as rewarding and as full either as like the thing that's daily studio practice. Of, yeah. That is work, and I mean, it's a, you know, it's exhausting, but it's not. It's different than like you know, like or when I used to play sports, where you'd have to run another lap mm -hmm. for you know, at the end of the day, carrying a you know, forty pound weight on your back or yeah. something like that. That just was, just felt like you're going to break. Right. Uh, this is. I don't have that feeling in, as an artist, and uh, almost almost never. Yeah, I, mean, I think I had a period where I had too many installations in a row where I was really exhausted. Yeah, just exhaustion. Just exha physically exhausted. That's not good. I don't yeah. think that's good for the work either, though. No, because then it's just like, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, my work's described as a network, so you can just keep putting up the network every time. Right. And so, yes, it expands <laughs> a little bit, but... Um, it doesn't... You know, it's not what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. But, you know, there are limitations when you have that much, you know, time. Yeah. Or you have so little time between things. Right. I think it's a combination of work and play, too. Because if you think about, like, I play a lot of soccer and I coach soccer. It's, like, an important thing for me. And I, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between making work and then being, playing sports or exercising or whatever. But in soccer, it's like you have to have fitness. You have to exercise and be fit. But also there's a great amount of creativity that will make you a great player. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. not just being good at something and doing it every day and like being stringent and working and working and working. It's also kind of like that creative playtime where you're inventing and thinking differently about it that will help you excel as a player. And I think that happens in the studio too. Like when I first started making work after school, like we were talking about how we, I went into hermit mode. You know, it's just working all the time. And I think more recently, in previous years, especially since I had a kid, I've learned to really appreciate downtime and being outside the studio. And I think that helps invigorate what I'm doing in the studio. It's almost like you don't have that tunnel vision where you're like you see the outside world more. And travel does that for me, too. You know, and it's just I think it really helps the work and it, it doesn't get monotonous like you're saying to network over and over, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm saying something slightly different in that. Um the repetition, the you know, the hours in the studio, the you know, travel to various sites to see art. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of that all as one. Yeah. And it doesn't feel, other than those rare moments where I'm overextended, it feels more like play all the time. Right. It's so I don't. I mean, I think of work a little bit more. Like I, I, I value it, but it's something like. This isn't forced upon you. Yeah. You're, you're doing it because this is just your, you know, the investigation you want. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, you know, I, I don't deprive myself of sleep and I eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's all I need. Right. And then, I, you know, it's just a different place. And I think it may be partially because I, 
you know, maybe what didn't do art early. It wasn't, you know, I didn't start doing it until midway through college. Yeah. And he didn't even think of myself as an artist, really, until even, maybe even after graduate school, maybe even after, you know, I came to New York thinking I was an artist. And um, I think something about that, that it's so different from anything else I've ever done. Yeah. That is just, and it is, it, it's not, you know, it's play, but it's, it's pleasure. It's, you know, it's, it's, but I don't feel like, you know, when I, when I read about um, Cezanne and Matisse, I feel like it's like that for them as yeah. well. I mean, they're, it's like that's what they want to be doing a lot. It engulfs their life too, right? It becomes, yeah. like you're saying, every aspect of life. Like when you go Everything. out to see a show or you go out to have a drink. It's, that's, you're, you're only kind of thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's the full subject. I mean, I think you do get a lot from other things. Like, like I, you know, I'll reject it. I, I just don't even attempt to do it. Like, you know, go coach soccer. Yeah. Um, but you do receive a lot from that that does inform practice. I, yeah. I recognize that every time I do something outside my regular full artness. Right. But I think almost everything is subsumed under art yeah. for me. I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm being slightly disingenuous with myself. I, I, maybe I pretty much thought of myself as, as an artist once I started making art in undergrad. Right. And I do remember um, trying to bring in my, my work life mm-hmm. into art. Um, so like I, I, um, I worked on Wall Street for like five years or so. That was your uh, day job. That was that my was day was job. Work, work. Yeah. So that was my, the economics back, background. Yeah. But I remember even at at work, I would try to set up things that would could become my my art projects. Oh really? Yeah. So I did these like dust drawings. <laughs> so I collected dust around various parts of the office. Mm-hmm. That, of course, I've never shown them, but I still have them. You know, yeah. so like in a tape that I would just you know. Um, pick up dust, and I, and I stored them, or I, you know, created other ways of of uh, using my time that was allow me to make art during that time. Yeah, so was I, that I was that been, ex- exhausting? That gig? I was totally exhausting. Yeah. it was just a lot of work. I was a young person stress too, right? A lot of stress. That's stress. So that's what. Yeah, that's a different. That's what I mean. It's so different. I mean, yeah. art can be stressful, but it's. Good so much on your own terms, in yeah, a way. Yeah, I definitely. mean, not totally, but it's like, this was different, and it was so. It's so opposite worlds, you know that yeah. that other thing, and um, you know, and it's for a paycheck. Yeah, you know, I mean, of course, we'd love to get paid making art, and we, you know, some of us do a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that's not the motive, right? That's not the driver here. So. Yeah, no, it's to be, it's the work and making things you know yeah yeah no that's that's the funny thing is in the studio so often we do put these stresses upon ourselves in our practice and like in what we're doing you know it's kind of like self-imposed and that feels good in a way because you feel like you're challenging yourself whereas if you're working the day job the stress from that is just like you know it drains your energy or something yeah it's almost like the stress in your studio fuels you because you want to conquer it or you want to you know kind of resolve whatever you're trying to to make happen, but that outside stress. You know, my first gig when I was uh, in the city was working windows at Macy's. And just the stress of commuting there from Queens to 34th Street every day was like exhausting, you know, and it was somewhat creative, but it was also, you know, 
It was draining. Yeah. Was this, this was just after graduate school? Yeah. yeah. When I first, I went to Skowhegan afterwards and I moved down and <clears throat> I remember in those days you would get a paper and look in the back for jobs, you know, and there was one that said, you know, windows, windows fabrication or something. And it turned out to be a, a job for Macy's and, you know, it was just like building the window displays and That's stuff. That sounds kind of fun for a little while. But yeah, I mean, no, it was it. I like the um, the art history relationship because you know Warhol and like Johns and you know those guys yeah. did windows yeah. and and uh, it just seemed like well it's somewhat creative, you know I'm not working in an office, and um, it's there was an energy to it that's for sure. I mean around the holidays it was a little crazy, but it was it was um, you know a good way to pay the bills for a while. I showed my window or my paintings in Bergdorf's windows. My, How was that? My, I think the first summer, second, or first winter after grad school. Yeah. Um, it, I remember being so proud yeah. seeing my paintings in Bergdorf windows. Yeah. Windows. Well, their windows are extremely creative too. They're like the most arty of all the. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And of all I, the windows. And I was aware of, you know, some historic precedent. Yeah. Not, not very fully aware. But right. I, I think I had a friend who did windows there. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey, well, let's do your these there. And yeah. That's great. And it was snowing. And so it was like, I, it's like one of those, like, um, I don't think about it much. But when I do remember it, it was a, you know, it was, they have a very fond memory. Yeah. And yeah. in, in New York, you know, and that feeling of yeah. the work engaging with the public like that is so nice. Right. Well, I mean, I just was so new to New York, and I was like maybe 25 at the time, and so I felt like an accomplishment. Yeah. And like, and you know, it, it, all the cliches of right. snow, walking through yeah. the park to arrive at the windows. Right. And, and there's my work. Yeah. There's my work, and it, yeah, maybe it had, it had a cinematic appeal. Yeah. And maybe that's where it, it, I, I, it stays in memory. That's a nice memory. I I had an opportunity once when I, this was a couple years, a few years after I you know, was done with the windows bit and just being an artist. And I was offered to do windows at Hermes in Los Angeles. And uh, my dealer at the time thought it was a bad idea, a bad career, or, you know, not good for me. I'm so frustrated that I didn't do it, though, because I think it would have been really nice. And the artist that was, that ended up going after me was John Wesley, who's one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah. That so that was just salt in the wound. Yeah. <laughs> Some bad advice. <laughs> I know that happens. Yeah. Sometimes dealers yeah. close doors on you that you don't realize at the time. Yeah, or damn you know, dealers. Yeah, just that's another thing you learn with the uh, experience. You know how to navigate that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's probably. I mean, you probably pretty reasonably advocated for yeah. it in the end. Well, I was you're just young. so young. Yeah, and you're just like they know more. I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember taking the fight to early on in the show to have one of my animations up, you know. And my dealer at the time just did not want to show or didn't want to project it. And I thought, this is, I worked really hard on this. It's going to be great if I could project it. It was such a struggle, you know. But finally, I, I convinced them and it ended up being one of the most successful parts of the show, you know. So it's like, I think sometimes you, even when you're young, you get that feeling like, okay, this one. You pick your battles. Like, this is a war that I need to battle yeah. for, you know. Yeah. Did you have a lot of those in your up-and-comings? Like, I, how did you start I, showing I, in New York? Where I, did you start? Where did I start? I mean, so, I'm like, I finished grad school in 93. Mm-hmm. I, Iowa was a three-year program. Moved to New York. Um, 
I immediately met good art people, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't. My work was so not ready. I mean, even um, yeah, I don't know what I did in grad school. I mean, I closed my door, yeah. and I met people who weren't in the art program. Yeah. So I, I it was, it, it, I was the wrong student, but I still have good relationships with some of my faculty people. So they, I think they, it's like you were describing earlier. They could see that things, you know, there was a lot of drive there. It just yeah. wasn't nothing. I remember one visit in grad school, and this professor came in. He's like, "Oh, that looks like art that could be in a gallery," and I'm like, "Oh man, I made it! This is so cool!" And it was like, you know, derivative Sigmar Polka. Oh really? It was like you know screens and you know, art red, that red. could it could be in the gallery. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I can make it. That's you know, yeah. you know, of course. Um, but so I arrived in New York and I met, um, you know, I don't know, I had a friend, uh, my friend who, I think it was my friend who went to Yale, she gave me Ross Bluckner's number and I mm-hmm. called him. And um, I thought, oh, I want to, I admired the work. Yeah. Know, it was in the glossy magazines and um, I mean, I was so young and I hadn't been exposed to a lot. And so I called him and he's, you know, he's like, what do you look like? And I'm like, <laughs> Well, I'm, you know, I just had to say I was 25. And he's like, oh, well, come down tonight, bring your slides. <laughs> <laughs> With kind of that accent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, you know, we were, we were friends that summer, you know, like many young boys who were attractive yeah. in that, that pool of people. Right. Which is, you know, there's a history of that. Yeah. Right? Um, um, and it was great, you know, seeing the art power in, in play right. at that time, but the, I still was, you know, I just didn't know things yeah. about art history, especially, which, um, and so there's no surprise that my work wasn't, you know, I couldn't show it to people, really. I mean, there, there were things that were a little bit happening. I could see, like, I submitted drawings in the late 90s to the Drawing Center, yeah. and those are ones that I had made. I'd already started working on, on Wall Street, but mm-hmm. I made while I was working. I do these things called the automatic drawings, and where I would, you know, you have no time when you're working 60, 80 hours a week, but Jeez. I still wanted to go to films and plays, and um, I fell in love, so, you know, you have to be social with somebody you're, you know, right. you're starting a relationship yeah, with, yeah. and I loved doing it then, but so I would, um, I would draw during the two hours of these performances. Yeah. And they call them the automatic drawings. And I, th- I remember showing them, I think it was to James Lane at the Drawing Center. Uh-huh. He was quite interested. And yeah. I, could, I sensed that interest, but they were a little bit, you know, they were a little still not quite their own. Yeah. I mean, they were they're kind of beautiful what you can do when you don't look at the paper for yeah. that long. Because I just, I think your hand, you lose c- c- consciousness of what's right. really the touch part It just of starts it. going. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up having a much softer touch in yeah. those. Um, so I have a lot of those. I've never shown them. Um, but then uh, I really left art, you know, the last two years of working because I went to Columbia Business School. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was in the executive MBA program that my firm sent me to. And then, you know, if I already had a lot of work, I even had more. So I made very little work. And so I had this like really hiatus from 93 to 2001, 2000 maybe, that I, you know, art happened a little bit. The automatic drawings happened, the, yeah. the dust drawings, which I'm not sure how those aged. But, right. Um, but you were making money. I mean, that's. I was, I, I was figuring out how to live bills. in New York. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <clears throat> um, uh, I remember the first summer, I, I mean, just backtracking a little bit, the first summer I met, also met uh, artist Eric Wolf, mm-hmm. who was having quite a bit of success at the time. He had this studio 
which is probably where um, maybe James Cohan is right now yeah. on the Lower East Side. Yeah. It was a great studio. So he went off to a residency that summer, and I took over the studio. Um, so I was meeting a few people, not mm -hmm. very many. And then once you know the work happened, I just stopped. I didn't really see shows. Um, 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 but I got really lucky after my MBA program. Um, like shortly after the firm, it was a Japanese parent bank, closed mm -hmm. their derivatives operation. And so I, I didn't, I, you know, I got a severance package yeah. and I just, I went back to my studio and I just thought it was early 2001, so before 9-11. This was the Lower East Side one? The, no, no, I, your mean, I, I mean back to my the regular studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was living where I am right now mm -hmm. in 98, I moved yeah. here. Um, and I just thought, I'm going to not go look for a job. I'm just going to work in the studio. And I had a lot of time. Because like when I first moved to New York, I, you know, I worked in the studio, but I also had to, like, you know, first thing was waiting tables. Right. And it was like, uh, that was bad at that. And then it was temping. And then it was became banking. Yeah. Um, but when I had all the time, and I just went, you know, I was a, like, you know, I just wanted information, so I was at the museums, I traveled to London, I went, I mean, I spent like four days in a row at the National Gallery just studying paintings mm -hmm. and taking notes, and, and that's when I think I was, I, was, I was more available to understand the time aspect that's essential to studio practice. Yeah. And I also, I think the business world helped me a little bit. I recognized you have to meet a lot more people than just the few that I did. I yeah. met some good ones initially, but it was such a narrow world. So I think I was just, you know, I was 32 at the time, and um, I became full time in the studio. And a after a year, I, I set work to the. I started having curators over and mm -hmm. other artists, and I could you, you could even sense when your work is starting to talk to other people. Right. Yeah. So the people wanted to put me in some group shows, and I had. Um, maybe four visits at the drawing center mm -hmm. <laughs> before I finally got my show. Yeah. And I met Louise Kamnitzer, and, uh -huh. and he, he was brutal. But I was starting to make something that was kind of interesting. It was yeah. these animations. Um, they were scroll drawings of using sports. Mm -hmm. And then I'd create, use from one scroll, I'd create a digital video animation, really low-tech stuff. Um, and I think maybe the first visit with him didn't have that aspect. They weren't quite... Um, the digital video didn't arrive, and he's like, oh, I don't, you know, your work only talks to yourself. <laughs> I can't get into it at all. I mean, he said it very differently, but he he really, he was amazing for yeah. me, like the conceptual push. Um, and I, I was just, you know, I was, a, you know, maybe I was probably more persistent as a young person, mm -hmm. uh, but I was like, uh, he said, but come back after, you know, when you feel like you've gotten to your next place. And so I came back like maybe six months later or less. Mm -hmm. And he's like, nope, still not doing it. And I'm like, uh, we don't see work at all in the same way. I'm like, I want to meet with somebody else. And so I met with Yen Fei Shi. <laughs> and Yen Fei Shi was so nice. And that was, you know, not yeah. the same day. but right. And I'm like, oh, he was so nice. But he said... He was just nice, mm -hmm. you know. It didn't help the work. He couldn't, you know. He just polite, and yeah. he was, I like him. But you know, Luis was amazing, and I like, you know, heard this from other artists. When he was the artist um, curator at the drawing center, he was so tough. People cried, um, but I came back the fourth time, and he really said, "I'm ready." You know, like I think I have a couple shows that you could be in, mm -hmm. and so I was in um, one. 
that was called Lineage. So it was about line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I created a family tree of drawings. So it was like, you know, ancestral line in a yeah. way. And I built a wall drawing to go with the, the drawings. But he almost thought about showing the digital video animations for a LaTeX animation show. Yeah, so. that's cool. So were those like stop motion style or just? What I, I scanned it. Yeah. And then I would just zoom in and I created frame by frame. Right. You know, so sometimes you'd have the same JPEG or detail for four frames. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you could stretch it. And, but then I would, what I, yeah. So it was all, and it was all from one scroll. Yeah. So. so when you bought yourself that time, when you, you know, got your severance or whatever, that was right before 9-11 though, right? Mm -hmm. Did that change your working method at all or? Um, I mean, not too far from downtown, you know? Yeah, so 9-11 just changed, I think, everybody's Every, work. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, just, I mean, I started playing solitaire on right. the computer. I was just depressed. Yeah. I mean, I think like many people. Um, I think it slowed things for a little while. Yeah. You know, I just couldn't do anything. I mean, I did work in the studio, and I, um, but I was already here, you know, in, yeah. in this, you know, this hermetic loft. Right. So I just didn't leave. I left... Um, I think less often. I mean, you'd meet up with people that I'd so far long ago now too, even though it's, you I know, know. Um, like the spe specific memory is like more the event. Right. And this, how downtown just shut down. Yeah. And I remember being, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I remember getting up that morning and I'm like, you know, it's still not that far removed from Wall Street, so I um, checked the stock market. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why is it not updating today? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, so this was post like nine twenty whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it earlier? Eight fifty nine was the first. Yeah. One? So yeah. it was. Um, it was. You know, post nine thirty when it would. When yeah. The market would open. Right. So the tower was about to come down. I yeah. think. And um, I'm like that's really weird. And then there was a headline. You know, like something trip plane had hit the tower. And, right. And I'm like, this isn't real. So I went yeah. up to my roof to look. Um, I couldn't really see, but um, I knocked at my neighbor's door downstairs. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, it's just a weird time. And I just remember that more that day and those several weeks of downtown shutting down. Yeah. Like, I mean, not in several months, much further down. But I do remember people streaming up Essex Avenue just covered in ash. Yeah. So it was a weird, I mean, it was a, a lot of weird. anxiety, right? Yeah, I mean, it's less looking back, you know, time heals, right. you know, or, or we just become number to the immediacy. Um, yeah. So, but it was a pretty, you know, several months, I'm sure I didn't do very much. Right. I mean, I did wor work in the studio, but it was shortly after that that I really started showing, though, mm -hmm. you know, so I mean, maybe in 2002, three, I had moved, like, you know, most people had moved on. Yeah. So did the drawing center shows open up some doors or were you just out sort of meeting yeah, more well, people? Yeah, I was just out meeting more people. I did LMCC right mm -hmm. around the same time in 2004, so a couple of years after World Trade Center, three yeah. years. And um, and that was, also, that was all simultaneous, so it's all happening at the same time. LMCC, the Drawing Center, and um, I had my first solo show with Jeff Bailey right around that time. Mm -hmm. Where was, was this gallery then? It was a small gallery on 25th. Fifth Street. Okay, I mean, and yeah. like um, I think it was initially on the eighth floor, mm -hmm. and I think my show was there. Can't remember if it was there. And I just had one show with him because my work, I could sense it was changing. Um, it was I, I had exhausted the watercolors 
after you know four or five years of working, it was yeah. small scale, and um, his space was too small for where I started maneuvering. Yeah. So I, I think I left. You know, after a year, you know, the show did really well. You know, mm -hmm. like he was. I mean, it really helps to have a, you know, institutional show at the same time as yeah. your solo show. Definitely. And, um, and the, you know, they were small and cheap, so there was a, a good <laughs> equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good, a good, a good point. Um, so, so when did your work start to come into where we? We currently see it. You yeah, know? it was coming like so. After I, f I had four solo shows with the watercolors um, internationally, um, and I was you know exhausted in making that stuff. And um, I remember opening up the practice to like you know I work pretty much seven days a week. Mm -hmm. So half the time I wanted to do the watercolors because to meet the you know the. Right obligations. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other half, I started just experimenting with other things, seeing things around. I think maybe I read something, I, uh, the seeing is the name of forgetting the thing one sees, Robert Irwin, where mm -hmm. he starts noting the things around the studio space more interesting than the paintings. Right. And I that really hit. I'm yeah. like, this is a lot more interest. You know, there's a lot more going on. And I was also just felt like the small scale watercolor just felt like they were, that was feeling like labor. Yeah. That, that did feel like, I, I, you know, not what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. But there was demand for them. And so that's, that's the sort of the sign of like when you know that you need to tweak things in your work when you're just like, oh, I'm doing them. But, you know, that that internal need for a push and like yeah. sometimes there's extenuating circumstances that like try to keep you within that bottle. But you just know it's time to like break yeah. out of it. Yeah, that's it's really clear. When yeah, that, you know, when you're, I think if you're unhappy making your work, you're probably not doing the right thing. I yeah, think. and I would love to meet some super interesting artists who are totally unhappy all the time making their work, and <laughs> so they can you know show me right. an, show me another path. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think if you're, I would imagine, I always wonder that about there's certain artists that I see that I feel like from a distance like. Are they just beating a dead horse here? Like if they, I feel like their work hasn't really changed much in like 10 years, but then maybe they're selling it so they're feeling good about, I don't know, yeah, maybe I'm comfort becomes part of the work and maybe to its detriment, but you know, if you're, if you have an audience and people are into it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many different ways to measure how, you know, how we're rewarded for what we do as right. artists. And, yeah. You know, I mean, not an invalid way. It's yeah. not what I, I think, I know it's not what I want. I want, I mean, I would love to, you know, keep pushing the work and having open questions. Right. And keep those questions opening up further questions. But I don't, you know, I don't, you know, it's wonderful if, if just the satisfaction of selling a lot of your work is, right. is enough. Yeah. You know, like that's, um, it's no, you probably travel really well. Yeah, and maybe there's the ceramicists out there who make that one cup that they love making. Yeah. And it sells. Yeah. And they just love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over. And it's almost like a meditative, repetitive, you know, commitment to this yeah. thing, this shape, yeah. this image or whatever. Yeah. I mean I was at a talk recently. I go to those I mean I not that often, but I went to Art Critical Panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, do you know that? It's Dave Cohen. Yeah, yeah. And he has mm -hmm. live re people interview yeah. or review live on stage at mm -hmm. the Brooklyn Museum, or Brooklyn Library. But they were talking about Via Selmans. Yeah. Um, and they generally hated it, you know, because it's, I think that was the general consensus. It's, it's, it's so repetitive. Right. Um, 
And I saw this show, uh, I really didn't like it either. But then I returned, and there were so many things I liked. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is that place of, you know, it's how do we measure, you know, the greatness of Mirandi? Yeah. We all, it seems universally applauded. Yeah. And I, and I don't I say that kind of with the question. I, but I don't know if I know anybody who said, I can't stand these just a bunch of cups. Right. Or still, you know. Right. But I'm sure there's some things that I just maybe don't know. Yeah, but there, it's far more celebration, I think, than... Yeah, but similar via Selman's, I thought there were really... I mean, the more I l- looked at the main room, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, it's a beautiful install. I yeah. actually want the whole thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I didn't see that the first time. I just right. I saw the repetition. I saw, you know, working from the same photograph of the ocean. I'm like, oh, God, he did it a little bit different each time. Right. <laughs> but... The second time, man, they were. I just, I just noticed, you know, just the different proportions of each of the canvases, mm-hmm. and they were, they were done over sixteen years, and um, maybe it's like the sprint versus the marathon. You're catching it like in the middle. You're thinking, oh, this is just kind of like a longer sprint, but if you catch it down the line, like if you look at an extreme, like on Kawada, who, you yeah. know. That's impressive. I mean, I think yes. it's just like, oh my God, you did that for so long. Yeah. It's so then it becomes part of the work, like just that commitment to the, the task that becomes impressive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, I mean, you need that full context. Right. In a sense. I, do, I don't think you had that at the Via Selman show, I mean, but you did have more of it if you allowed yourself. I think mine was a little bit more like good days and bad days in Chelsea. Yeah. You know, so I think everything that day I went, I really just was in a bad mood or yeah. something. I shouldn't have been looking at art. <laughs> Irritable uh, and yeah. looking at work. And then there you have the opposite days where everything's amazing. Yeah. You know, and it's not. Right, actually. right, in right. In hindsight, you go, oh, what? You know, that's what like, it's mental. It's yeah. a mental environment. You yeah. know, I, that's one thing when I, when I teach or when I talk to people about, um, you know, making artwork. One of the big... I feel like one of the big variables of being an artist and making artwork that doesn't get talked about a lot is building a sort of fictional environment to where it's conducive to being an artist and making work. It's like a mental atmosphere where you're excited about things. Like you go out and you see work and you get excited or you listen to a new record in the studio, you get excited. It's it's almost like creating the environment to make the stuff is almost as important as just making the stuff, you know. And I, I've heard some really good people talk about like art schools and which, what makes a good art school and part of it being just a good environment, like an energy in the environment to where um, success or like hard work is like conducive, you know. And it's almost like as an artist, it's such a, you know, non-essential sort of profession in a way. <laughs> it's like to, no one's going to... To make the environment is that yeah being an artist it's like yeah. people don't need paintings to exist you yeah. know i mean yeah. we do but you know what yeah. i'm saying like yeah. it, so it, it's kind of like you have to create this importance and this energy around it which yeah. ends up feeding back into you and it yeah. becomes real it's almost like spirituality in a way or you know it's like the unknown or or creating this you know, believing in something, like believing that this stuff is like really important. So you go out to Chelsea and you feel really energized because you see all this really great work. And that's part of, you know, that ephemeral cloud of being an artist. It's not just, you know, being in the studio and putting paint on the canvas and try to explain that to someone who's not an artist. So people, you know, explain like, well, I just need to sit and think for a couple hours. 
and like stare at a blank canvas. That doesn't really, yeah. it seems confusing to a lot of people, I'm sure, yeah. you know, or yeah. like how a lot of the, I feel like a lot of the um, importance of making work is just looking and thinking. It happens outside of the actual act of making work too, which is, doesn't explain well to some people, I think. You know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like it should, though. I mean, it's like um, looking and thinking is not that different from reading. Yeah. You know, it's true. Reading is a lot about thinking as well as absorption of information. And um, it is it is far more esoteric because art isn't privileged. Right. You know, it's just, it is thought as excess. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, um, like if you go to your mechanic and he's just sitting there looking at your car. Under the hood, yeah, and and you're like, can you fix the oil filter or whatever? And he's like, I just have to think about the way that I'm going to do this and hey, what it's going to mean. I want to understand <laughs> the age of your car, right? So as like, the as the time and labor bill like yeah. accrues, you know, you're yeah. just like, just do it, just yeah. do what yeah. you need to do. Yeah, yeah. but well, it, I think maybe a really interesting thing though here is it's commodity versus non-commodity. That's true. Yeah, and art is not a commodity. I mean, it's like that's why you know. The art market is so weird. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, not every Picasso is the same. There are right. going to be discrete prices for, you know, Picassos. Yeah. I mean, the blue chip artists are a little closer in pricing. You know, it's a general range. Right. But I mean, that's a, I think that's something that's really different. So um, it is this, you know, unique-ish thing. Yeah. You, you know, unique type of thing. There's it really is. So yeah. and I think that's that's something that's really, really probably connects to that. Like why and I think uh, the general public might think of art as uh, kinda like commodity. Right. In a way. And the way it gets treated in the in the press, it is kinda like you know, because of the market being so privileged. Right. The, the numbers part. Yeah. Um, so but it's too rare. Even when you're Damien Hurst. I mean, even when you're producing so much, right? It's still, uh, you know, it's not like it's not uh, that many. Yeah, it's not like grain or Bentleys. Well, those are well, yeah, those, those are a little are rare bit rarer too. too. Yeah, but well, the artwork on your, on your wall speaks a little differently than yeah. a Bentley does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a Bentley might be more interesting on a wall than some other things. See. Now that's a new yeah, direction. That's a very expensive art to produce. That's true. Yeah. That is tough. Maybe just so you know, three D printed. Yeah, the three D printing houses yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just uh, reading about how people are uh, this idea of like a uniform salary for people because technology is going to basically take all the production jobs and all just so many of the jobs in the world. Yeah. It's really interesting no, to think about. We're hearing about that. that. Oh, we're going to have to actually. Yeah. I mean, there will. I mean, I think the. Just the reality that everybody gets some subsistence living is, yeah. is, you know, something that will have to be addressed. Right. I think the other thing that's related to that that's really interesting is, you know, how do you keep your population engaged? Right. You know, you know like if, if you have no job or, you know, because I think a job is very motivating for people yeah. and also keeps them, I mean, there's, uh, I think, the relationship between um, longevity and purpose right. is, is, you know, is, has been showing. I mean, it is. There's a you know, you live longer if you have a reason to be here. Yeah, and definitely. Without a job, I guess we've got to you know figure out how to you know allow people and the whole society to get engaged. Yeah. You know, 
God, it's really interesting to think about. And like, it's, 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 I mean, I, I listen to, I don't digest all these, this content fully, but I listen to a fair amount of pop. You know, the one I listen to the most is Sam Harris. Yeah. And he was at Stanford undergrad with me in my freshman dorm. And I don't remember him very well, but he's, he's a kind of a surprise what he's become. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are, you know, these are like really serious intellectuals that he, you know, we're very smart people that he brings on that yeah. can really dig into the subjects. And our world is going to be so different in not so long. Yeah. Um, and for one, you know, whether, you know, it's you know, Armageddon or um, just the advance in science. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's so, it feels so accelerated right well, now. Well, that's the thing. It's the speed, right? Yeah. So, like, the distance, yeah. like we were talking about earlier, between TVs and the Internet, and then the beginnings of the Internet to Internet now, which is a way shorter time frame, and the amount of change, it's just compressing to the point to where... It's, it seems like, what is that, that, what do they call it? I know There's a word for it. It's like the moment when all information is like instantaneously available and, you know, like oh, we, we could download know. every language or whatever it is. It's just like you could just, information is no longer something that you reach out to get. It's just all accessible or something. I mean, that doesn't seem like a really sci-fi crazy idea at this point. No, it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. But it, then it's like, then it's also becomes like the interesting thing is like it's everything. Yeah. Right at that moment. But it's everything in this small place. Right. I mean, so the scale of our world, you know, our whatever we can see outside our, our universe, but it's, we can't get there. Yeah. So the scale of it is just so, it's still, even with, it's kind of an interesting contrast. The, the fullness of all this information, the instant, you know, instantaneous knowledge, but it's not really, you know, like we can't explain all of the um, unknowns in science. Yeah. Um, so like, but that, that, like that extreme contrast between all of this and what we perceive as all mm-hmm. is really not. Right. <laughs> when we scale up, you know, and all that, you know, most likely ends. Yeah. You know, so what? At least the all that we know ends. Maybe some other all, you know, follows. Right. Um, yeah, it's so you know. interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's just like the. It's it's you know it's another lifetime or not even lifetime, another several lifetimes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that, I think that's why. I mean, I'm just. I feel like I'm just. I'm self-educating now. I mean, I went to pretty good schools, but I just wasn't. I don't think I was an inter- engaged student in a lot of ways. I think we're too young. Like in school, you're too young to really want to, or I don't know, maybe it is ex- experience thing. But yeah. like the older I get, the more I want to learn things and the more I take in information. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like the desire is, is greater now than it yeah. was when I was in school. Probably because when you're in school, you're like, I can't wait to get out of this place yeah, and you do want, something. You want to go do other things. Yeah, yeah. Like playing sports was fun. Yeah. So like going to play really bad, you know, bad for the environment things. Like right. Golf. I was a obsessive <laughs> golfer. I'm so embarrassed to say that now. Oh, it's Actually, a, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty... It's pretty fun. I went, I was at McDowell last year. Uh-huh. And they have a golf course across the street that the, the residents yeah. can use. And I played... And I was standing over a putt, and I'm like, man, I wasted so many. 
hours and years of my life doing this. It was the first time I ever had that thought because I loved playing golf. But you felt like it was a waste? I just thought I'm just putting this thing. Didn't you learn something from it though? Like you kind of, there's a patience or a quiet beauty to the game. I don't know. I mean, I did. I, I really, I think I have. I enjoyed that time. Yeah. I enjoyed. I, I really like playing golf alone. So it's not different from being a painter, right? Being a, you know, artist yeah. in the studio. It's you in the challenge. Yeah, and I would create a, you know scenarios to play against myself. Yeah, I would be two different players. But I, I so there's something about that that I, yes, I, you know, I, it's a it's a good memory. But I do think, you know, like the person I've become. I wish I'd been engaged earlier. Yeah. Like you know. Reading to the, you know, I just read Anna Karenina for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm reading Madame Bovary right now. And all this stuff is, you know, just builds on itself. Like, right. I think once you get the bug for learning, you really, yeah. I think you, maybe it declines, but I'm at that point where I'm just, I'm, you know, consuming. Yeah. And I, you know, I guess the less generous view of this could be that I'm learning it again. I just forgot that I already learned it. Yeah. <laughs> and that sometimes I have that fear where I'm like, man, did I already know this? And I can't remember it. And, and I've got to learn it again. Learning it and, again. And I have an economics degree from Stanford, which mm-hmm. is like a top program. Yeah. And I can, but I don't know anything about economic history. It's, or did I? learn a little bit but I don't remember Maybe it you know it's all this stuff that gets out. a little bit scary yeah so when I do listen to these you know very impressive podcasts of you know Sam Harris and David Frum and I'm like man these guys are so smart yeah and and am I just slow <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah well I think you're you're also doing a whole other thing you know I always get that with like I feel like I love making art and but there's other things especially now because I started in pre-med and I think oh man it would have been nice to see that through because I would have loved to have been like a surgeon or something I think that would be really intense and rewarding and and amazing but I just wasn't there when I was a college student it wasn't happening like my mind wasn't in the zone of like concentration to that level just now I could probably do it like physically maybe not but it's like I, I joke about parenting too. It's like when your 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 body is kind of primed to be a parent when you're like nineteen or twenty, but your mind is primed when you're like forty, and it's a weird conflict. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like w- which do you choose? Yeah. No, I think it's a little bit of you know both of those. Yeah. Right? It's a, there's a wonders of youth and there's wonders of getting older, um, but I think this is a little bit like I mean. I, did, I don't know, maybe it's just my insecurity of like feeling like I've learned some of these things. Actually, I picked up Gustin's writings mm-hmm. the other night, and I feel like I hadn't even started it, and then I realized I'd underlined many things <laughs> in the first, you know, 40 pages. Yeah. Um, and so I, that was that, like, man, did I, I just don't, and I, you know, the things that I returned to that I had underlined were quite interesting, right. but I just didn't remember it. And I, you know, I, I maybe falsely ascribe this to, um, like Roberta Smith, where mm-hmm. she's supposed to have like a photographic memory. Like yeah. she, but I, you know, does she or does she just take great notes? Yeah. You know, and right. um, you know, so maybe I'm hoping for something that's impossible. But I do meet people where you go, man, they remember everything. They know so much. Yeah. Um, and I do put a ton of time into, you know, culture and yeah. le- and learning. And 
but my retention isn't quite what I what I hope it to be, right. uh, which is that instantaneous knowledge. Like yeah, you're kind of like, or that knowledge that you is there on your chip is burned in. You can access it. Yeah, but the nice thing about going back, it, going back to experience, is that you know you go see that painting at the Louvre ten years later, and you're bouncing ten years worth of visual information back off of that. So it's going to be different. So when you read that memoir or you read that, you know, biography, like 20 years later, it's going to mean something totally different to you. So it's not even like you're rereading it. It's a different story in a way because it's, it's, it's seen through the lens of you 10 or 20 years later, which is different. Yeah, no, no, that's very interesting. And I think that's like, you know, a lot of what I, I address in my work, but I'm talking about like not even remember go, re- remembering going to the Louvre. Like oh, that yeah, part. Like I suffer from that too. That's a little too. bit scarier. You're like, damn. I suffered from that too, and I always I I, I want to blame it on the fact that there's so much more information now that we're bombarded with. But I don't know. Maybe it's just getting older. Of yeah, just like a poor memory, just, or maybe just yeah. Some people are much better. I have a friend who's she's not so accomplished. Mm-hmm. She's really smart, and she's got an incredible memory. Yeah. So maybe that's shortchanged her, in a, or you know, short-circuited her in a different way. Yeah, you so, know. Like she remember, the PayPal. Yeah. She, <laughs> <laughs> she remembers too much. Yeah. And so that, I mean, compromises her in other ways. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe you need to forget some things so you yeah. can concentrate on other things, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm good at that, forgetting little <laughs> things. But I definitely think in the last few years, especially with teaching and, like, being a father, there's a lot more on my plate. You know, like, I just have to think about more day-to-day things. So you just inherently you let some things slip through the cracks because you can't get it all, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of learning to roll with that and just be. That's why I like doing podcasts. It's like you're in the moment. You're there. There's no phone. There's, you're just talking, you know. And like you kind of, that becomes more meaningful in a way because it's just you know that that firsthand experience. I think yeah. that is really rewarding. And just happen to be recording it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and I find it really, I mean, what's interesting, and you don't expose, and maybe never will, is like um, how you compile your list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, an, you know, I'm like curious to sneak into your studio on your laptop and say, oh, there's his list. He's going to, you know. <laughs> Um, and I think it's fascinating. It's akin to the studio visits, and, and I don't think we get to do studio visits as regularly. No, at least I don't, because yeah. I, I I'm an artist on Lower East Side, and there are no other artists around me. Right. Maybe they do it more regularly in Bushwick. And, and, um, but this is kind of a, you know, I think the other podcasts I've listened to that are, are also akin to studio visits. Definitely. you're learning so much more about, you know, what your, your subjects are. Yeah. And I think everyone's busy, so if this is a way that someone can get into the studio and just, you know, talk with people or listen to people talking about work, you know, then that's great because it, it is harder and it's more fractured now. You know, people are all over the place. It's yeah. harder to get a hold of people. Everyone's busy doing a million things, you know. So, but I do think it's important. And I guess part of this is for me of just, you know, visiting and talking with people because I feel like that that kind of personal engagement is important. And I think it's just in our society, it's becoming more and more fractured and splintered and shortened. And, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's running off to do this or that, or, you know, it's just a text message. So, you know, there's something valuable about, and I, and I think it's a total parallel to making art. You know, it's a different speed. Making art isn't, 
it's a totally different speed than everything else that I do in my day to day. When I'm sitting there for hours working on this picture, slowly laboring on it, yeah. it just feels good. It feels like a different kind of way of experiencing life, yeah. which I don't, I, I wonder if people who don't do it, like how they get that in their life or if they care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there's just so many places we can land. I mean, I think this, the, these po- the podcasts is, um, it's another one of those, you know, pieces of information over information. There's yeah. so many out there in a way, but then there's the speed of the podcast. I was sitting here is, is a different duration. Yeah. Different, you know, and, and so I thought, I think that's kind of interesting to the, the contrast there. Right. Um, and you know, it's, is part of what our world is now. You know, yeah, and like in you know, in listening to um, Francis Bart mm-hmm. yesterday, <laughs> so this feels so meta. <laughs> so I'm listening to the podcast as they're being made. It's gonna get uh, worse when I release this and you listen to yeah, this. Yeah, well, then I'm gonna use it in my next installation too. <laughs> um, and um, but uh, what was I? Saying? Oh, her art world. You know, mm-hmm. Like where everybody knew everyone. It's so small. And so ours is different now. Ours is, you know, this helps us get to know each other in a way, but it also is uh, an interesting product of the art world now. So, I mean, historically it potentially can land in that place that I think is very interesting. I don't know how you make art, teach, have a child, and do these. I mean, that seems like, and you coach? (laughs) Do you coach? I'm the head coach of the whole... Greenpoint Williamsburg Youth Soccer League. Wow. No wonder <laughs> this is my last no season. No wonder though. you only make one painting a year. Right. <laughs> Ironically, the painting only takes me a couple of weeks, but yeah, it takes that's, me a whole year to make. That's insane. I just can't. I mean, I'm in the. I'm so opposite you right now. I'm just mm. like. I mean, I'm like I, I do like maybe it was in one of your our more you know increasingly meta moment. Um, you describing you used to have just studio studio stuff. yeah I, I am totally like i don't know if i'll ever escape that yeah and that's a good place yeah. to be yeah yeah i don't know it all it all works out one way yeah. or another right yeah <laughs> so what uh you're so you're preparing for a show that'll be upcoming yeah I'm, uh, in september nice. at, um, at emmeringer um that's how you say it right <laughs> i say emmeringer mckenry yoey there have been i've heard more Iterations of the pronunciation of yeah. our gallery, then, and I, I just go with every one of them. Yeah, I mean, so yes, in September. A M Y, Amy. Well, I always put the C in there. Oh, A M C Y. Yeah, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, with a lower C. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, um, I when I first was showing with the gallery, I called up the gallery and listened to the answering, the recording, and yeah. it says. Ameringer. Yeah. That's how I learned it, or thought I learned it. But maybe it could have been a mispronunciation by the person who recorded it. We may never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you got that show coming up? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Um, it's not so, you know, far away. Yeah. Um, they sneak up on you. Yeah. Those dates. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. Um, it's going to be, I think it's called Painting Painting. Nice. So. And, um, where can people find your work on online? Um, I think you just Google me. Yeah. Um, I have a great, you know, I have a unique, pretty unique name. That's uh, true. That many Franklin Evanses, so you, it takes you to a lot of images, videos, um, 
the website and the gallery. Yeah, I think the website's a little better. The gallery is mostly shows the paintings on, on the website. Yeah. Ringers. Um, my my website has more of the you know full installation practice over time. Yeah. So it's more of a historic record. Like that PS one shot, right? PS one shot. I remember seeing that yeah. piece or yeah. that installation. Yeah. Was greater was it greater, it was greater New, York New York a long time ago, right? Seven years ago. Yeah. It's not that long, but it is a long well, yeah, time ago. It, it is feels. a long time ago. Um, but that, um, I think it was of the first version where they did videos of people. So I have a video yeah. on MoMA that I on the will live for a long time, maybe inside. for as long as MoMA lives. Yeah. So it's nice. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks Thank for you, having Brian. me over. It was great to be here. It was great. Cool. great to talk. Thank you.